What's going on, Raptors fans? We're back with another podcast here for the Sports Ethos Raptors channel. We got a lot on tap today. We got game three and four review, and we got some exciting news out of the, the Raptors camp for the rookie as well. And of course, I got my co-host back with me, Kev, the K-Train. What's up, buddy? What's up, Dangerous Dan? Oh, Dangerous Dan. I guess that's the one we're going with, eh? I like it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. So, so yeah, like I said, some exciting news for the uh, the rookie out of the, the Raptors camp. Scotty Barnes gets the, the rookie of the year. Yeah, Scotty Barnes wins rookie of the year. It was a tight vote over Evan Mobley of the Cavs. Uh, but I think the voters made the right choice in this case. I mean, we talked about it in one of our earlier pods. I know we've talked about it in our in our chat as well. I think Cavs' late season slip to the play-in position they ended up in, as well as Mobley's injury late and Barnes, you know, proving his versatility. And we'll get to that in a bit here, but just proving his versatility and all the capabilities he has on the floor, I think allowed the voters to see that he was the best rookie this year and he took the award. Yeah, agreed. I mean, when you look at his stats for the reg season, he had 15 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 3.5 dimes. And of course, we know he plays defense too. He has a steal and almost averages a block a game too. And shooting 49% too, which is a great percentage for a rookie. So you definitely love to see that. And I mean, he is, yeah, and and he is, we can't forget, he's the third Raptor to get Rookie of the Year, Kev. So the Raptors had Damon Stoudemire, and then they had Vince Carter, of course. So, and then now it's, it's Scotty. So he's the third Raptor to, uh, to get the Rookie of the Year award. Yeah, and it's awesome. And I mean, I, I mentioned his versatility. I mean, for a, for a 20-year-old that Scotty is to step onto a team like this and essentially play point forward for large parts of the season with such confidence and such capability on a team as structured as the Raptors, I mean, his maturity belies his years for sure and well-deserved, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I guess the only negatives you could say about Scotty is his three-point shooting and his, and his shots from the free throw line, but it's not yeah. like they're atrocious, right? And you yep. know, like you know, Scotty's going to work on it too. He's the type of guy who's going to go into the offseason and work on that three-point shot and and hitting shots from the free throw line too. So I think that's part of the reason why we we drafted him because we know he'd work on his game and and play hard. Yeah, he did his thing for us all through the year, and he was rewarded for it. Unfortunately, you know, as we discussed uh, in the game one and two recap, you know, Scotty wasn't going to be available for this game anyway. It looked like he might be able to give it a go. Before Game 3 started, but he was ruled out uh, relatively quickly the day of. So the Raptors in Game 3, which is where we're going to start here, Dan, they had to get things going. They had they were down in an 0-2 hole, and they had to get things going without their star rookie. They had other players that can perform, but you know the, the heat was really turned up on Toronto here. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the Raps came out playing tough nose de- defense, and they were feeding <laughs> off the crowd energy, right? Like, it was their, their yep. first game playing at home, and boy, you could see it was a difference maker. And one of the main things I like I like to see right out of the gate was how they were doubling Embiid early on his possessions. And when you see the double happen, it just makes Embiid speed up his game, and therefore he was he was more prone to error. And I mean, it was quite evident because Embiid had four fouls in the first quarter alone, which was more fouls than Philly had all in Game One. 
Yeah, it was it was it was encouraging to see how they were covering him. And I mean, the, the crowd was hot behind them. Kem Birch was out there to start the game and he was called for a nothing foul in the first couple minutes. And in my mind, I was like, oh, gosh, you know, here we go again with with the ridiculous whistles. But, you know, for the most part in these two games, the referees let Toronto play their game. So you're right. Their their approach on Embiid was was good. They were able to to take control of the situation better than was allowed for them in Philly. Um, and what I noticed, too, in game three, you know, we talked in game two about how Toronto was missing easy shots in the second quarter. Philly was the one missing very makeable shots in this game through all four quarters. So they definitely gave Toronto a chance to win this one. Yeah, for sure. They did. And I mean, you had some great uh, some great play by a couple players that we didn't see too much of in the first couple games. Gary Trent Jr. and Precious Achua. I mean, Gary was out there hitting threes and stealing the ball. He had 12 points and two steals at half. And he finished with 24 points and shooting 44% from behind the arc. So, I mean, we've been we've been looking for this, Gary. And, of course, he was sick in, in game one and two. But, man, did it give me some hope to see him playing like himself again. Yeah, and you know what? It was Gary, it was OG, and, and Pascal for most of the part, most part of the game. Three of them were, were very efficient. Uh, and it got away from them a little bit in overtime, and we're going to get there. But another thing that was that was good, and I talked about the referee's whistles a second ago, you know, Philly was getting called for offensive fouls, things they'd been getting away with in games one and two. The refs weren't letting them have it here. We talked about the little things in our last pod, Dan, and, you know, how Kyle Lowry would take charges and stuff like that. OG took a number of charges in this game, so it was good to see that the Raptors were stepping up to the plate that way and and really taking charge of this game literally yeah for sure nice play on words there and uh and precious like like I said he was an x-factor like a lot of people will harp on the the missed free throw shots with 20 seconds left in the fourth he does only make 59 percent of his free throws but we did just need one of those from him to close out the final quarter and win the game but, I mean, we should have thrived off his performance. He made 20 points on 81% shooting. And, of course, he chipped in with a few rebounds. He had six rebounds and a block as well. So the fact that he had this type of performance, like if someone told me that Precious went out there and shot 20 points or got 20 points and shot 81% from the field, like I'm guessing we win this game for sure. Yeah, and you take that all day long. Like no no questions asked. It doesn't matter what else you know really had gone on. But we'll get to yeah. those free throws in a second. Um, another thing that was encouraging to see Toronto playing their game. So there was there was free throws being made by Toronto in this game. We talked about Philly making their free throws. The the, the chances were equal here almost. You had 18 mm-hmm. for Toronto versus 20 for Philly. So again, the refs were letting these guys play. Uh, and offensive rebounding, it was back. You know, it was absent in the in the two games in Philadelphia. Yeah. But Toronto, nine offensive rebounds here, and they drew 21 fouls from Philly. So Toronto was definitely getting their groove back here. Yeah, for sure. Like there was there was definitely some positives in the game, and they had a great first half. Um, even at half, they were they were still up by 10. But as we all know, it didn't last long. You you know, Embiid's going to go on a run in the second half after a poor start, and that's exactly what he did. Him and Harden were responsible for the Sixers' first 17 points in the third there. And then you see our lead dwindle all the way down to one. Yeah, but the encouraging thing to some degree anyway, Toronto maintained the lead. There's a lot of the psychological edge that goes into these games too. Not letting your opponent tie the game, not letting your opponent uh, take the lead. Toronto held the lead all throughout this game up until overtime. And there's any number of little things that can go into why the game got to overtime. And we'll touch on them here. We mentioned the, the precious Achua missed free throws. He missed both of his free throws 
with less than 30 seconds left. But, you know, encouraging was the fact, again, I mentioned Toronto's drawing fouls. James Harden fouled out of the game before overtime. So as they were going into the overtime quarter, they didn't have, you know, their their Hall of Fame level shooting guard in this case, because Maxie's been playing the point for the most part. So, you know, Toronto playing their game, but the fact that Philly was able to get back into it, you mentioned the the hard charging by Harden and Embiid coming out of the half. I mean, that's what those guys do. They're superstars and, you know, they're going to, they're going to bring that game with, within reach for them. Uh, we yeah. mentioned the little things again, you know, OG got a favorable foul whistle with less than 30 seconds left. I don't know if he would have gotten that call in Philly, but we'll absolutely take it. Yeah, for sure. And another big part about their their run in the third there, and and obviously taking off in the in the fourth to to bring it to overtime was was the zone defense. And for some reason, the Raptors they always struggle when they're facing zone coverage. And you wouldn't think it would be the case. Like Siakam and OG, these type of players, you think they should be absolutely shredding the zone to pieces, but for whatever reason, they can't get it done. And I do have to give some kudos to to Doc Rivers for for switching to the zone defense because. Uh, because Philly has um, some liabilities on the floor defensively, and you definitely see it with Niang. And every time he was on the floor, the Raptors would be targeting that matchup. So whoever was facing Niang, they would get the ball, and they would just take the ball to the hoop, and they would score with ease. So the fact that they switched to zone, and the Raptors can't target Niang anymore, and they play well as a team on the defensive end, it was uh, it was definitely a smart route, smart uh, smart move by Doc Rivers there. Are you going to give Doc Rivers credit for racing for that timeout also? <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely not. I mean, it was kind of a sporadic play, but it, it was it was so interesting because there's 0. 0.9, 0. 0.9 seconds left on the clock and it's a tie game. And when you see him go so far out of the box, like he was literally standing in front of Drake. He was that far out of the box. And the rule clearly states that a coach is not permitted to cross the midcourt line and violators will be assessed an unsportsmanlike technical foul immediately. Immediately. Now, I didn't know what the ruling was when I saw this happen. I thought it was a strange play for sure, and something should have been done by it. But the fact that Nick Nurse didn't step up and say something, and he wasn't more aware of the rules, was was shocking to me, for sure. I mean, the ref should be all over it, right? Absolutely. They should see that right away and, and do something. But they were slow to to do anything about it. So Nick Nurse needs to be all over that and and tell them yeah. what's going on and make sure there's a stop and play and it gets it gets assessed the, the technical it deserves. Yeah, you're bang on there. And I mean, so many, so many little things went into why the game went to overtime. And, you know, when we got to the overtime quarter, by that point, you know, uh, the first bucket, I believe, of overtime, Philadelphia took their first lead. So, you know, was the psychological edge gone by the time they got to overtime? Toronto, for the most part, played well in oh, into the overtime quarter. And, I mean, we know what happened at the end. But, I mean, what were your thoughts on their play in overtime? Yeah, it was it was okay. I mean, uh, you definitely saw Siakam disappear. He went right back to ISO ball and trying to do everything himself. He even saw him try to take, like, a, a Kobe fadeaway type shot, which which definitely isn't his game. So, he yeah. he wasn't playing his his normal game. You could tell maybe he was feeling the pressure a little bit. Of course, if we if we lose, we go down 0-3. But what really stuck out to me, Kev, was the last play of the game. So first of all, like it's 0.9 seconds left on the clock, and you see Danny Green's going to inbound the ball, and we have no one covering him. So you see Fred Van Vliet notice this, and he goes up to him to cover him, which first of all is strange because the smallest guy on the court, like Fred, is what five five ten, I believe. 
and and he's the guy that's going to be covering the inbounds right normally you see like the bigs out there trying to defend the inbound pass like even if it's a second left in the game like why wasn't Boucher or someone out there just put on the floor to to try to guard yeah, that inbound pass, with, right? Someone someone with length, you're right. And exactly. That's right. And the pass came in again, mere mere milliseconds left on the clock. And you know, we haven't touched on it yet, but one thing that happened late in the fourth quarter leading into the overtime, Joel Embiid had had hurt his thumb. We found out after the fact he has a mm-hmm. torn ligament in his thumb. You could see him holding it and he had it taped up in game four, but he he just and this is not Joel Embiid's game. He can do this. He's capable, but for him to hit the buzzer beating three is absolutely deflating. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it was one hell of a shot. We we do have to give him credit there, even though we're both not the biggest Embiid fans, obviously. But it was it was a great shot by him. But something else that I wanted to touch on as well is is Freddie again in those last couple seconds on the last play there, or the last second I should say, is even when he was going to go guard the inbound. You see Nick Nurse screaming at him to get away from the inbound. So the first question is there was why was not anyone guarding the inbound pass, right? But then Nick Nurse told him to get in the lane and under the hoop. So again, the smallest guy on the floor trying to protect the paint in case there's like a late drive there to try to get a foul or just to get the layup or whatever it was. But it was just such strange plays from uh, from Nick Nurse, if you ask me. Yeah. Again, the result to go down 0-3. I mean, we're going to get into game four in a second here. If they if they had held on to the lead at the end of that game and mm-hmm. they had taken game three and we know what happened in game four and we have a brand new series. We'll, we'll get to our thoughts, you know, at the end here. They can sustain it. There is there are some reasons for hope and optimism going forward. But man, what a difference it would make if the series was tied. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, considering we we did win game four, like we had the potential to have this series tied at 2-2. So it was an unfortunate result in game three, but obviously we covered why that didn't go our way. But yeah, I think we should uh, we should dive into game four here. It, it was nice to see that the Raptors were building on the positives that we saw in game three. And like you said, it was a demoralizing ending to the game. And you like to see that they didn't show any signs of that. They, they seem to kind of stand up for themselves with a full effort. Again, excellent defense, even with Philly shooting the ball pretty well. And they were able to close out strong after taking a, an early lead instead of letting the Sixers get back in the game, which you definitely love to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the game started off with Barnes receiving his Rookie of the Year award. Sorry, Rookie of the Year award. And he they announced he was coming off the bench for this game. And, you know, with a guy coming back from an injury that looked that rough, he's only had, you know, less than a week really to heal up from the thing. Um, that's probably the wise move now. Unfortunately, due to some circumstances here, you know, Fred Van Vliet left after about 14 minutes in the game. There's a lot of speculation, even from uh, the commentators, that it was a problem with his knee again. But it turns out it was it was with his hip. And Nick Nurse had said after the game, you know, he's been pretty banged up all year. We knew that coming into this series. We mentioned it in our playoff predictions that he wasn't going to be at full health. So we were down Fred Van Vliet after you know, only 14 minutes of this. Scotty Barnes was thrust into the point guard role. We mentioned his versatility off the top. And, like, he had to be that guy. He had to be versatile. You could see, though, Scotty wasn't playing, you know, to his full capability. He wasn't driving to the basket. He wasn't taking a whole lot of shots. He was providing great rebounding, which is something that he's he's good at. But it's, it was that was primarily what he provided as well as his ability to step in at point guard there. And at one point, he tripped over. I think it was. I think it was Paul Reed. He tripped and he left the game for a few seconds. I was shocked that they let him come back in that quickly. And I, I can't remember if it was 
when Fred was hurt or or not. I think Fred might have still been out there. So to see Scotty come back immediately, I mean, kid, the kid can go. Yeah, for sure. And you did see him kind of limp off the court there at one point. So you did get worried, but obviously he he came back in and he played he played decent considering his his injury there. But what I definitely want to get into is we've been talking about it in the first couple podcasts here is we needed one of the Raptors big guns to step up and and drop a 30 burger in one of these games here. And of course you you look to Freddie and Pascal for this type of performance. And like you said Kev, like it was obvious Freddie was in pain with his hip which could be derived from his knee, only played 15 minutes, and then he sat out the second half. And you kind of forget how much pain these guys could be dealing with when they're playing. And it was it was pretty evident when he ripped his jersey in, in frustration. Um, but so obviously Freddie wasn't the one who stepped up, but it was Siakam who got it done. He seemed determined to score no matter who he faced. He dropped a playoff high 34 points on 53% shooting. And he took the ball strong to the hoop and got to the line, which which you obviously need in, in playoff basketball, right? He made 13 of 15 of his shots from the stripe. And like his his whole game was just well-rounded, which you've seen in the regular season. He, he provided eight rebounds, five dimes, and some defense too with a steal and a couple swats. And he, he def- definitely answered Philly's physicality too. You saw him kind of banging in there in the paint and so on, which seemed to, to frustrate the Sixers. And I don't know if you heard, Kev, but even at some points, there was uh, some MVP chance for his effort. So you you do like to see that, him feeding off the crowd. And oh, yeah. boy, was this night and day from game three where he didn't even make a field goal in the, in the fourth and in overtime. Yeah, and it was especially interesting to me because, you know, we talked earlier that in any game where Joel Embiid is present and playing to his capability, that... Pascal Siakam could not be that guy for us because in any game Embiid plays, he's going to be the guy. It's going to be his game. So, you know, the issue with his thumb, you know, he talked about it before the game. It's it's a problem. And, and you know, some of you out there might hear, oh, like it's his thumb. Like, well, it's not like it's his quad or, or, you know, something foundational like that. But like, I mean, his ability to grip the basketball, his ability to shoot the basketball, you know, his his confidence in being able to drive through defense, fear of getting it hurt again I think that played a huge part here and you know well Joel Embiid was quote-unquote limited to 21 points in this game I mean 21 points for anyone is great but those aren't Joel Embiid numbers I mean he only had eight eight rebounds three assists even his free throws were down for him only only nine attempts so he was neutralized somewhat and then let Pascal thrive yeah for sure and I like the fact that you you brought up the point that he's going to be a little bit concerned when he's driving the ball right if someone reaches in and hits that thumb again then then look out for sure because you definitely just think about a shooting ability when the thumb is bothering him. But that was a good point on the on the drive to the lanes as well. But you also see Harden like he he struggled with his shot again. Like yes, he had 22 points and he had nine assists, which is very typical for Harden at this stage of his career. But I mean, it's 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 easy to hit 22 when you take 17 shots, and mm-hmm. he only made five of them. So he he finished from the field at a 29% success rate, which is absolutely atrocious. So that kind of brings up a, a big question here for you, Kev. I, I got a question to see what you think. Yeah. Um, do you think, yeah, do you think Harden can can score like a superstar anymore? Because it looks like this guy is just fading by the day. Yeah, you know what? He's He may need to be that guy. I'm, I mean, Philly has guys who can step up, but if Joel Embiid can't be that, that 1A guy, 
Harden may need to step up and, and be that guy because, you know, the last couple of games, Toronto has somewhat neutralized what Tyrese Maxey was able to do in games one and two. They, they're on him more. He's actually getting, you know, more peripheral stats. Now he's getting rebounds and assists where, again, that's not his game typically, but his scoring was way down. He only shot four of 12 in this game. So I'm not going to say everything relies on James Harden for Philadelphia at this point, but they're going to need him to do more if they, if they you know, want to be able to move on quickly. I'm hesitant to say that if they want to wrap this series up quickly. I mean, if they give Toronto a chance to get back in it, if they can take the next game, anything's possible. Absolutely. So yeah, can, he, yeah. can he do it was the question. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've, here I am sitting here at my desk doubting a future Hall of Famer, but I don't think James Harden can do it, Dan. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think you're right. Like, obviously, he's going to put up some stats and score, but it's most likely going to be inefficient basketball. He doesn't seem to have that same pep in his step and maybe some would contribute it to him uh, partying with all the rappers these days. Seems like he's out <laughs> with uh, little baby and Gunna and Kodak black and all these guys just tearing up the clubs and then trying to play basketball the next day. Right. But Meek Mills, a Philly guy, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. So maybe he's been, uh, maybe he's been raging with Meek. who knows. Right. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another thing that like really stuck, stuck out to me or stood out. Sorry. I should say in game four, was they they didn't play zone coverage in game four, which I touched on earlier, which seemed to be definitely a positive for them in the first few games. And you know Philly will answer in game five going back to this type of defense as the Raptors only shot 8 of 34 from three. So, of course, they're going to want to clog the paint again, especially when Siakam had had one hell of a game and was able to to get his when he was making drives to the lane and get to the get to the line and make some free throw shots, right? Um, but yeah, what I think is going to be key is because they're going to clog the lane there and play zone defense is the Raptors. They need their shooters to keep moving and rotating so they can get the open look. So they're nice, clean looks when Siakam and, and other people do charge the paint. Like those guys need to be constantly moving. So it's, it's not easy to defend, uh, from Philly there. Yeah. And you know what? So there was, there was uh, one super encouraging sign that was in this when we were doing our predictions, you know, we'd said this, this was going to be a big deal. A big reason the Raptors won this game, 110 to 102, was the performance of the bench. I mean, Kem Birch started the game. He only played five minutes. He was out of there. We mentioned Fred was gone as well. Uh, Scotty Barnes came off the bench. Count him among the crew with Thad Young and Chris Boucher. I mean, they carried this game in the second quarter. Uh, you know, they, they went on an 8-0 run at one point. And they put the Raptors up by 12. That was those guys doing that. Thad Young had a tremendous game. And, I mean, the bench output was huge. Yeah, for sure. Like, Thad Young, he he came alive in this game. And, and you love to see it, of course. Like, that's why we signed this guy. You know he's going to be a, a steady player in the playoffs and just kind of provi- provide an all-around game. And he was arguably their second-best player, um, if you ask me. Like, of course, yes, yeah, Gary Trent, he had 24 points and a couple steals. But like you said, like these bench guys were a main reason why they went on that 12-0 run. And Thad Young was a, a massive contributor. He, he finished with 13 points on 67% shooting. And he he displayed his all-around game. He had five rebounds, five assists, three steals, and a block. And he ended up playing 30 minutes. So it looks like that, that injury isn't bothering him too much anymore. At least you sure hope so. Um, but yeah, it was just nice to see his, his typical Thad Young type game out there. And I mean, even at one point, he he dropped Embiid and he made the shot. 
Yeah, like he, he broke had, his ankles. It was yeah, great. he had him beat on skates out there, man, which is which is never good for a seven foot, three hundred pounder. <laughs> that you know, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. You know, Toronto got back to playing their game. They had it in game three. They just didn't get the result, but they kept it up here. Eleven offensive rebounds. We mentioned they were second in the league in offensive rebounding. You yeah. know, that kind of fell off in the first couple games. So they had eleven of those to Philly's six. They drew twenty six fouls from Philadelphia. They had 10 more free throw attempts than Philadelphia. So they were doing the things they need to do to be effective. But one thing I am a little bit concerned about going into game five was just the distribution of the scoring between Pascal's 34 and Gary's 24. That's half of Toronto's 110 points. I mean, OG did lots well in this game. Scoring was not one of those things. He only had 11 points. Thad Young you know, again, we mentioned potentially the second best player with his other contributions. He had 13 points, but Scotty Barnes didn't score. Precious Achua played 24 minutes and, you know, was effective in other ways when he was out there, but he only scored five points. Chris Boucher was effective off the bench. He only played 19 minutes, though, nine points. Philly, Philly with the players on their roster and the capability they have, they can zone in on a couple of guys, especially if Fred doesn't play next game. I mean, they, they'll, they'll zone in on Pascal and Gary. I mean, they realize now Gary's back. Gary's playing like Gary, like we need him too. He's over his illness. They can zone in on a couple of guys and, and, you know, hopefully OG can go back and have a game. But I think we were lucky with, with the output there from uh, just those two guys to be able to take the game the way we did. And, you know, Pascal's dominance, credit to it, like you said, but we need we need a, a more balanced effort next game if we, if we you know, want to have a chance going yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, it's that's definitely where you miss Fred and you miss his scoring and his ability to help spread the floor and make the three-point shot, right? So it was kind of glaring that we were missing his his scoring in the second half, but... Um, fortunate, fortunately, we were able to get it done. It was great to see. Hopefully, we can build off that momentum. And you, you definitely saw Embiid getting frustrated out there. Like he was, he was losing his composure, and it kind of reminded me of uh, Will Ferrell in Old School. We need to keep our composure, <laughs> while obviously <laughs> like freaking out at the same time, right? And yeah. uh, I don't know if you noticed, but he even took a, a cheap shot on Siakam out there, like trying to yeah. tackle him at one point. Yeah, and, he, yeah, and he, yeah, even, he even put on a, even more of a little bit of a show, I guess you could call it. Um, he was clapping in front of the officials sarcastically as he went on to, uh, to sit down and, and mope from the bench. Yeah, it's not going to do him any favors there. One thing I thought was a bit uncalled for, we're talking about what's happening with the officials here. Uh the Toronto fans chanting against the referee. Again, I thought the officiating was balanced, I guess would be the best way to put it, or or not egregious uh, at all, really, between the two games. They weren't Toronto fans doing themselves any favors by chanting F-U ref. We'll see what happens. I mean, going back to Philadelphia, we saw what the first two games were like there and what the calls were like. I'm hoping we're past that now, but I'm optimistic to some degree they can take another game, but can they take three more games can they win the series dan yeah i i'm optimistic too i i think they can take the next game i think this is going to be a huge confidence booster for them and the longer the rafters hang on like the more that philly is going to start to get a little bit worried because you know Embiid remembers game seven the 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 series in 2019 championship run it looks like he's been kind of a man on a mission to to get his revenge ever since then but if we can get another game in Philly, like steal game five here, you know he's going to be a little bit worried. Harden hasn't typically played well in the playoffs, so 
the more that we can build off game four win and, and continue to, to thrive and build on that, it might just make Philly even more worried. So, but I, I do agree with you. I think we can take game five. We just need to stick to our strengths, have our big guys play like all-stars like Siakam did. And I think we have a really good chance, Kev. Yeah, one game at a time. It's a cliche, but I mean, I guess it's true. We can be That's the 2004 it. Boston Red Sox. We could we could come back from a 3-0 deficit for the first time ever. I think I heard a stat somewhere of all the series that have gone uh, 3-0 in NBA history. I think there was 145 of them. That number may be off. It was over 100, certainly. No team has ever come back and done it. So how monumental would it be if, if, if we could do that? Oh, you'd love to see it for sure. For sure. Well, I think that was a, a good review of game three and game four. Another shout out to our boy, Scotty Barnes, for winning rookie of the year. God, you got to love to see you got to love to see that. And it, it's got to be huge for him moving forward to know that everyone respects his game. And and I think he's going to take off as a player, man. I really do. Yeah, but, um, I do too. yeah. Yeah. As always, guys, make sure you uh, you follow us at Ethos Raptors on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Spotify. Um, make sure you download them on iTunes as well. Um, and yeah, feel free to interact on our Twitter account as well so we can comment back with you guys and have some fun there. Talk to you soon, guys. Go wrap, go. Go wrap.